0: Welcome to Real Clear Fetish, Talks Real Clear Play. This is the second episode of Second Season, and today we are a little bit closer to, well, to the UK this time. Last time we went to the States, this time we are going to the European Union, because we're not a part of that anymore. But um, I'll bring in my guest who is in Belgium, and his name is Elvis. Hi, Elvis. Hi, how are you? I'm very
1: well, and you? Thanks, I'm also good. I'm doing well.
0: I will point out that this episode is going to be solely on my face, mainly because Alvis has a job besides this, which is a bit more private. So it is purely his voice and my face. So you get to see, look at my pretty face in this whole episode. L- should we start with the three first questions, Alvis? Yes. And see how we go from there. Yes, we should. Okay. Sure. Cool. Um, what do you prefer to be called titles uh, and pronouns? So, um, I prefer to be called
1: Alves, he, him, therefore you can refer to me as he, him.
0: Fantastic. Second question. Tell me a little bit about yourself.
1: I'm in my 20s. That's what I'm going to say. I have been sober for a little over three years now, um prior to my sobriety as most of us i was actively using not only alcohol but also like other substances like drugs and i've been quite experimental with them so i've tried everything besides um um heroin so all the other things you name it i've done them and the alphabet yeah exactly so um i i know you know how it felt and everything and um then but we, i i guess we will talk about it further in the episode but but that's like yeah. that's like where i'm coming from so that's like you know for the listeners like that's, that's where i'm coming from so uh been there and done, done but I, but i've been also so i haven't been I'm not active in the fetish scene, um, unfortunately, yet, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Um, that's mostly because, I don't know, it just happened that way, but I've been also actively, well, now, not anymore for reasons, and obviously there, there's corona, but I am not a stranger to the BDSM com- community and I'm a self-proclaimed masochist, so um, there's that.
0: So, uh, third question... And you've kind of already answered it, but I'll ask it anyway. uh, Sober, clear-headed or um, social drinker? Sober, clear-headed. Fantastic. And then we go to the fourth question, which kind of just leads us into, well, whatever we kind of end up talking about. What is clear-headed play to you and why is it important?
1: All right, so clear-headed play to me is any sexual activity, engagement, um, even a session, which does not have to include penetration, um, which does not involve any added substances rather than your own sexual libido and energy. That's actually how I really see it. So to me, playing sober is just your own libido, your own sexual limitations, and your own nature being um, at play.
0: Fantastic. Yes. So you you've been you've been clear-headed for or clean and sober for over three years Yes, so how, how did you find that in early recovery? like especially integrating your kink side and and all that kind of thing because it can really be difficult Especially when sex and drugs are integrated with each other. Well,
1: uh, so I'm only going, going to be talking about myself um,
0: that 's fine yeah it 's all about personal experience in the beginning
1: in the beginning when I started, obviously um, the first three months are very triggering because you know whenever you you want to engage into anything with anybody. It is like a common culture. Okay, so like what do we do? Right? Like what do we take? Uh, at least poppers would always pop up into play and people would be like, What? You're you're not even using poppers? And it's like, well, no, like plus they give me headaches, so thank you, you know? Um so the first period was very difficult. Um not about myself, not like it it was not difficult for me to engage sexually with other people the most difficult part was finding people that wanted to engage sexually with me because I was sober and I think that's where a lot of a lot of relapses actually do happen because of the whole pressure of oh well if you're not taking any drugs we won't be on, on, on the same level therefore we are not going to be enjoying the same feeling and when somebody rejects you based on that it's, it's, it's obvious to me why some people actually do relapse. But in my case, um, I was just like, you know what? I don't care. I am sober and I intend to be. Mostly I became sober to put this out. So I actually started my sobriety little shortly after I got diagnosed with hepatitis C, which nowadays is already, I already took medications and I am undetectable. Uh, so I, I don't know if you can say it's cured, but once, the hepatitis C becomes undetectable. You can no longer um, transmission it or transfer it to to anybody else and and it won't affect your liver whatsoever long-term. So there is that. So when, so so little shortly after I got diagnosed with hepatitis C, that was actually my, my motivation because I did not know when was I gonna get the medications. I had to actually take care of my liver, obviously for obvious health reasons. And then what started as sobriety caused by um, hepatitis C ended up as being sobriety in the long term. Because I think something around like a year and a half after I got diagnosed, I actually got the medications and did the treatment and it worked for me. And then the question was, am I going to continue with my sobriety or do I just stop and I continue the way that I was before? But that's when I decided that I was going to continue being sober because I I already got so much used to it. Um, I was somebody that was like, I don't know, for most of us, but for me, I was a real mess. I guess also because I was younger and hormones played a big part of me being a real mess when under any substances. But I was really very, um, I was all over the place and I really, I was not a good company to be with. And I didn't know myself as that person. I was like, I know what i am i know that people actually do respect me when i'm sober so that also played a big part of why i became sober but not 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 to stray away from your question because sometimes that can happen with me um so after that year year and a half i said like you know what i'm going to just simply go for being sober um and the next best thing for me which i did for a long period of time in my early sobriety was BDSM and masochism. Why? Because that was a natural way for for me to get high on endorphins, which actually produce obviously happy hormones, which do allow you to get into another feel in your head, other than um, um, the normal one, the conscious one. You know. And then, like I, I used to do that for a longer period of time. But as we all know, that's that's not something that that you can do with anybody from the first time, it is something that, that that should build up to it. It was very difficult. I, I, I had someone that I used to play with for, for like two years and it was amazing. But then after that stopped, I, I just could not find anybody else, I suppose, uh, to continue working on that. And then the next best thing that came after that, because this allowed me to remain sober, was actually CrossFit. Why? Because CrossFit is so intense that after you do it, you also get what people call the crossfit feeling of high and so so
0: it's it's the same that happens when people run marathons you get to a point where your endorphins kick in and then you can just do more yeah yeah so i would get that yeah and
1: so that's basically how i managed to maintain my sobriety long term but it didn't start as i just wanted to get sober because yeah like it didn't start because my life was ruined by drugs or something it just started because i got hepatitis c and and then yeah
0: well for for different people different experiences different stories and i i think a lot of people when you, at least le, at least when you talk to people in recovery will refer to their rock bottom and i would say getting a, a disease that is could be quite damaging it is a rock bottom like yes. A rock, yes it is yes. a rock bottom i admit so,
1: i admit it is a rock bottom yes so it,
0: it's 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 i think a lot one one thing you have to make clear with people, especially people who might be still struggling, is that everyone kind of has this idea what a rock bottom should look like.
1: Yes, yes, that yes. That is
0: not necessarily what it's. You you can have a successful job, a big car, big house, but everything is crumbling inside. You just don't know about it. No, no, you're um, absolutely right.
1: I do agree with you. I think I think yeah. so. You were right that that was my rock bottom. Why? Because what happens when you hit the rock bottom was that you, you, you actually dare to, to, to like take a step back and, re, and, and reflect on, okay, what am I actually doing with my life? Like, why, has, why have my life choices led me to, to this rock bottom? And it is a moment um, in which you can either get completely destroyed or you just simply have some sort of, like, clap, like, wake up, like, look where you are at life and do something about it. Or otherwise this is the way that things would go down. So I do admit that that was my rock bottom. Definitely. Um, and it's good that you actually mentioned that, because indeed, there is a big misconception that, yeah, rock bottom would mean that you would just simply look terrible, feel terrible, lose your life and stuff and stuff. But indeed, rock bottom can be different things for, di- for, di- for different people. But it is always like the starting point which actually motivates you to take action on turning your life. So
0: so, so h- how do you feel? I know when I talk to people who stop drinking and they start feeling the benefits it's, it's, we live in a society where drinking is normalized. And in the gay scene, drugs are also fairly normalized. They are normalized. It's, it's, they are normalized. The, first time, the first
1: time when I went out on a party, I was like 19, 20. It was just very normal to pop a pill in my mouth and just be like, oh, just drink it, it's nothing, you'll be fine. So it is pretty normalized, yes. Even for young people, especially going to circuit parties, it's a common practice. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, 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 I, I think of my, I probably have mentioned this on, on previous episodes, but it's like my first experience of the London um, kind of house party scene where I went to someone's house, instead of a glass of champagne, there was a glass plate in the middle of room with cocaine on it, which is fine. And it was very safe and, and so on. But that was my first experience. It was very welcoming. It felt very safe so it, it didn't it didn't necessarily feel like oh this is what i've heard about i'm going to end up a druggie <laughs> yes ironically i did but <laughs> it 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 was not that reason that was something that came further down the line with yes, apps yes, yes, and yes, yes accessibility yes. and what yes. you get used to yes, yes yes um and even if you do do drugs and i'm not i'm definitely not out to demonize people who do and still enjoy it and can do it safely Um, The
1: culture... Let me say... Let me put it this way. So, before I moved to Belgium... Because I used to live in a country where... There was not a single gay life. You know... The furthest that I've been was smoking pot. After... So, prior moving to Belgium... That's where I... In the gay scene... That's where I experienced every single drug that is out there. But also... I, like you know when you start out there's like so much to discover and you're like this curious little oh well you know i mean i won't be that guy i won't get addicted or stuff so you, you're just like well maybe this or maybe if i don't do always the same drug i won't you know get addicted but then you actually catch yourself doing it more often and more often and by the way just to make an another claim about how the culture um, gives out these drugs to people is that I've never even paid for a single drug in my life. Maybe only the last time when I stopped because I celebrated like the end and it was like, okay, for a single goodbye to, to a drug well, when I took ecstasy, but un- until that point, I always got free drugs from e- every single where I turned around. So yeah, that's how...
0: Yeah, I, I, I must admit I was... I was not in debt when I stopped using drugs, far from it, uh, It's. it was just, I would always offer to pay, but as with most people when they're high, they're normally quite generous, <laughs> so it's yes. just what it is. <laughs> everybody uh, loves
1: everybody, oh, you get free drugs, and yeah. you get free drugs, everybody yeah, gets yeah, free yeah. drugs.
0: It's like uh, Oprah Winfrey of drugs. Yes. Um, But it's 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 such a weird thing and and especially when like an early recovery, as you mentioned, when you go out for the first time or you're like going out, I can't even remember how that is now. It's been over a year, Um, but it's it's such a weird thing when you're standing in a bar and you kind of go, Oh, I'll just have a lemonade. And yes. <laughs> everyone looks like you, like your arm fell off or something.
1: We can all relate to that feeling. Um, or especially like, you know, going out on a Saturday night and all you want to do is just have fun. But like your stomach is like, I'm fed up of all the Coca-Cola drinks that I've been drinking. <laughs> I can no longer take in. So yeah, I can totally relate. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a very common feeling in sobriety, right?
0: Well, I, I could imagine that this it's like, if there's a thing I miss, especially because I've gone to Antwerp for a uh, Lever Pride weekend, which is a really great event over yes. there. And they do also do non-alcoholic beers there. I have even talked to the producers. They did a 12 step meeting there last time. So they are, they are getting better and getting on it. But one thing I do miss, and that is one thing Belgium is very good at is Belgian beer,
1: and yes the
0: country is very proud of their beer so i could imagine being a sober person living there in a beer country especially also close to the german border and it it's just a very beer-centric area well so,
1: let me put it this way um i mean Every everybody knows me in the gay street in Brussels because it's such a small and kind community. But when I started being sober, so um, in my case, I so it took me actually a year, a year and a half until I gave it a go to zero, zero alcoholic drinks. And why do I specify zero, zero? Because sometimes some drinks can be non-alcoholic still can contain like certain percentage of alcohol. So when I say zero zero, zero, it means that there's absolutely no alcohol in them. And when I started drinking zero zero beer, there was maybe only in couple of bars, one single option in Brussels. But the more that I went there because I was was there every every single weekend and the more there was a demand, I noticed that my favorite bars into where I, I used to go, i'm so grateful for them they actually knew like oh this person needs that particular drink when he's gonna come and then so from from one Myers zero or Jubilee zero after the producers made Alefe zero which is like my favorite beer ever now that i'm sober they actually made sure that in the beginning it, that was present in some bars but later on it was present in in most of the bars and and it's and it was very nice to see that evolving because that kind of allows you to i mean when you look at the glass it does give you the blending feeling with the rest right so you don't feel like oh i'm just having a cola uh because you do have like a it, beer with a with it, a foam yeah
0: it it gives you a yeah you it's, it's that whole argument. is like, you shouldn't have to fit in. It's, it's, I'm, we're all fully aware of that. You're, you're allowed to be individual. You're allowed to have your soft drink. But sometimes you just don't want to go through the conversation with someone. It's like, why are you not drinking? Are you oh, running? my God. Antibiotics or all these things. And there's a lot of people, and I was one of these people... Who just don't understand why you would want to be sober when you go
1: out. Let me just say so that I having think having a
0: non alcoholic beer helps that sometimes, but
1: yeah, but I think, but I think, but I think that mostly comes from people's inner feelings about their own drinking um, habit. Mm, yeah. I'm not gonna say problem because not everybody does have a problem, but you know sometimes when people do mention but why are you sober or like ew zero zero beer sucks and it's like well maybe it does for you but actually to me it is what helps me to to go out and have a beer if i can say that you know
0: it's 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 interesting when you mention the zero zero beer because it's such a it's such a tricky one because different countries have different rules when it comes to noting a beer as being non-alcoholic yes so you have to be really careful, especially if you're in early recovery. If you ask for a non-alcoholic beer, yes. ask for the bottle yes. so you can look at the figures. Yes. I've made the mistakes of a couple of times. It doesn't ruin my sobriety. It's just what it is. No. And you kind of move on from that. Yes. Uh, I even made the mistake when I went to, on my holiday last year, I asked for non-alcoholic beer. I didn't look at the bottle and it actually turned out it was a 1% beer. Yeah. Which in my eyes is very low alcohol and not going to get drunk from it. No. But for anyone in early recovery, that could be so... It can difficult. be very
1: triggering, yes. Um, yeah. So that's why I said I only started one year and a half after, ini- after initially becoming sober. I don't think it's a nice idea to start with zero-zero like from the beginning of your sobriety because all it's going to do then is going to be like, well, I do miss the real deal because you just stopped it and you will just end up relapsing. I think you do need to take... A longer break before you actually start drinking zero zero and as you said you have to be very careful because once what happened to me um, actually last year be- before the lockdown was that I go to a bar and I'm like okay zero zero they bring it to me and I just took a sip I didn't even um, have to um, like drink it but you notice the difference as a sober person that drinks zero zero because it's very acid sort of feeling of a real beer and I was just like dude like you were just about to break my sobriety I mean it was in my mouth but like please this is not zero zero and you really have to be careful because you don't know why somebody is drinking zero zero he apologized but I am no strange I'm no stranger to the trickiness behind asking a zero zero what I usually do is I just say bring me the bottle and bring me a glass and I'm going to serve myself and that's how you that, that that's is, how you ensure what goes into your um, glass yes
0: I, I have had bartenders pour me a beer and then throw the bottle away where I've literally said to them do you mind but can I see the bottle please? yeah 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 and they have to fish it out I don't care if they look at me annoyed yeah yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah I want to see the bottle yeah yeah I'm yeah. asking for non-alcoholic beer it changes from spot to spot uh, when I when I told the bartender in Grand Canary when I went on holiday he was very apologetic. He didn't actually realize that this was a slightly higher dose uh, alcohol in this beer. And he gave me the next uh, cola for free as an apology. And he was like, oh, I'll do better now. If someone do does ask, I will point it out. And it it takes so little to kind of go into a bar or the manager of the bar and kind of go, well, I'm sober. You're not really catering to the sober crowd. And there is. A bigger bigger crowd of young people who don't drink who choose not to drink because it's i wouldn't say it's become unfashionable but there is definitely a bigger group of people who don't drink nowadays
1: yeah no definitely so I agree. It, it
0: is about it's, it's about taking a hold of your organizers of the different parties and so on and kind of just going actually can you cater for us as well yes i yes. contact when they do big parties here in London and they're more than happy to cater for the sober crowd because there will be a great big deal of sober people in the fetish scene as well because there is quite a few of us that are in recovery. Yes,
1: but I actually do hope that we will go from having only zero zero beer to also having all the variety of zero zero drinks that exist out there. Sorry, like there is zero zero red wine, white wine, champagne, it's like there is there are so many options nowadays on the market that you can go and find in a supermarket but in a bar you cannot and it's a big pity and I always say like you would like if you just buy three or four bottles it would not cost you anything but in one week you would actually be able to give options to to sober people it is nothing Mm. for what you will give out to, to people coming at the bars but maybe one day you know if we are ambitious we will get there
0: Absolutely, and it's 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 such a weird one. I've I've had I talk to people who are recovering alcoholics who have a big problem with non-alcoholic drinks because for them that is a massive trigger. Yes, and I would never suggest someone that has an al- has alcoholism to do non-alcoholic drinks. No, It can I also be very would never. Tricky, but but for some but for someone who has a drug problem, I don't categorize myself as an alcoholic. I do like enjoying a non-alcoholic beer sometimes. I have been in the situation where I've been at um, a big event with some friends and I order, because you can never get pints, you can only get in a Yes. So just to fit in, I bought two non-alcohol- non-alcoholic beers, poured it in a pint glass just to fit in. Very expensive beer, it was like 10 pounds. And a couple of days later, one of my friends came up just like, so Ralph, have you started drinking again? It's like, no, it's a non, it was a non-alcoholic beer. Just come up and ask the question if you're worried. Let me say that he, he, he asked.
1: I was more alcoholic than addicted to drugs, but I did both. So I am not stranger to both communities and both sides of every single coin. And when you said that the NA or AA um, commu- community condemns zero zero alcohol, I'm also no stranger to that. Like to put it out there. Yeah. So this is only my opinion. So like I don't want anybody absolutely, to... Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But for me, AA did not work for one simple single reason. And I think I would like to speak about that for a while because, and this is only really my opinion, but to me, the way that I see it, Mm. it's way too triggering for you to be able to give up completely on old habits like drinking. And why is that so? Because when you're in the room and when you're sharing, all you talk about is... And like at one moment in my sobriety, after I stopped drinking alcohol... It just felt like I had to go back to the days when I was drinking just to be able to share something in the room. And that's when I, I, re- I realized like, it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore for me because it was way too triggering. It, it was like all the time talking about what I'm trying to leave behind. And some people actually would like scream and shout, oh my God, how dare you? AA saves many lives. That's true. But I also want to encourage people maybe out there that, th- that think like, well, is there maybe any sobriety without doing any program or without doing the 12 steps yes as long as you find the coping mechanism for it yes there is for me coping mechanisms for as i said either play either cross it anything that gave me a way to uh, to abstain from drinking and also some people as you say they don't like zero zero for me i think i am extremely grateful and i think because of them i'm i reach to be sober for as long as i have and maybe also for a whole lifetime because now it just like what people don't realize is is that your brain does tricks on you so sometimes when you when you drink zero zero alcohol even though it does nothing to your system th- the taste buds of your tongue do activate some some brain cells that kind of um th- think that oh there is alcohol going through the veins and, 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 and you do get some some rush out of it but after the rush is done it's like oh well nothing else is happening and then you just yeah keep on drinking and nothing else is gonna change so yeah
0: it's 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 an interesting i i remember in early recovery if i did do non-alcoholic beer i definitely had the sensation that my brain would go oh something's supposed to happen yes um for someone in early recovery that can be a little bit tricky very you have to be careful yes um And, but yeah, I fully agree with you. There is such a vibrant variety of stuff you can do to help your recovery. I, I've done a lot of, um, I've, I've read self-help books. I've done psychotherapy. I've done, um, I'm about to start something that's called the gay happiness project, which is a 12 week course where we just deal with like, uh, where you are in your life, what's your gay experience. It's all about like confidence and are you where you want to be in your work life stuff like that i don't know precisely how what it's going to entail but i've had it recommended i had a friend who was like i've just done it i will gift you half of the fee to do it and i was just like that's really lovely so I'm, I'm hoping when i get to the end of this course that if i really feel like i would love to give this on to someone i will do the same towards someone else because it's it's there's so many things you can do. Absolutely, 12-step has helped a lot of people. Yes, but sometimes yes, 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 You yes, just yes. it's just not a fit. It just doesn't work. Yeah. There's also smart recovery. I've, I've tried smart recovery. I've done a single session of that. I didn't feel that was a fit for me. I've done 12-step. That definitely was a fit to start with. <clears throat> and I think I outgrew it a little bit. Yes,
1: I... I do share the same feeling with you. I think it's a great way to start because it gives you a sense of belonging. I'm not alone in this because I think that's also very difficult to some people. Sobriety is a very lonely um, place, especially when, when you're sobering up from drugs and your body is kind of like detoxing itself from anything that you have had inside of yourself. It can be very lonely, right? Because... Um, yeah,
0: and that, that's where 12 steps uh, or, or meetings with other recovering addicts work yes, so well. Because yes. you sit there and say something. You might not have 100% the same experience, but they will say something that resonates with you. Yeah. And that really helps. All of a sudden, it's like if I'm having a bad week and I hear someone, uh, I did a, a mental health check-in with some friends. It's like, how are you doing? And most of the texts that came back, is like, it's a bit rough. It's the start of the year. We're still in lockdown, and do you know what? Afterwards, I felt better because exactly. I, I knew I wasn't the only one who absolutely. felt like Absolutely, yes,
1: I do agree with with you on that. Um, you are very, you are absolutely right. Um, but also, like I think, so another thing that, like another obstacle, if I may call that, um, when you are sobering up from both alcohol and drugs, is your first circuit gay party i think (laughs) i think every single sober gay guy that used to go to circuit parties would be sweating i think like the first time when i went to one i was like oh my god what if i relapse because that's like the place where you kind of like did everything that you did right so that's like a place full of triggers a place full of pressure a place full of is somebody going to put something in my drink? It's a very dangerous field. And I'm not saying like, oh, but I, I'm, I'm just saying like, so when you get to that level, you have to be very careful on so many things and still try to, to enjoy it without being paranoid, right? Um, so a so couple of advice would be, if you would hold the bottle, always put your thumb inside. That way you will, and you will ensure that even if you dance or you talk, your thumb is actually inside of the bottle, or if you have a glass, just just simply get one of those um things that you put on a table and put it up on top of your glass and like but for me when i for me, I can say for myself that i I have enjoyed a lot of circuit parties as a sober gay guy um when I was single, I've also enjoyed obviously darkroom sex, luckily sober. But I am not saying this. Like, all maybe why am I saying this is because I I, I want to tell to people there is life as a gay man in the circus scene when you're sober because many people assume oh so you, you, you so if i'm sober that means i will never ever experience any circus party again that's not true but there are some precautions that need, need to be made in order for you to maintain your sobriety and to be happy to to just enjoy a party and the bigger bummer of it all is um you will feel tired by like <laughs> like two three hours in it you will just want to go to bed but that's when personally for me what has helped was i would take red bulls because they do give you a caffeine rush and they do keep you going but obviously at the end of the night you're once you crush even from the red bull you just gotta go to bed that's it
0: (laughs) For for me, I I, I limit myself to max two Red Bulls, but it does end up with me staying up till five in the morning if I do it because I don't I don't drink caffeine normally, so doing Red Bulls is like ultra coffee. Um, But yeah, it's 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 such a weird thing when you go to a circuit party the first time in your sobriety. It's it's a how about how do where is your boundaries? What are you willing to do? What is the risk factor? But it's also about what people do you have around you? Are they aware of your situation? Yes. Um, also, be prepared that the, it might be the weirdest thing that might trigger you. Yes. For me, it was standing in the queue for the toilets <laughs> Because I knew what yeah, I yeah, do yeah. in that cubicle. Yes. Which is a very standard one. Yes. But you might run into someone you've used with. Yes. And they might, they might be high. How are you going to tackle that?
1: Or they have might be offering you... you.
0: You know that's to, the thing how are you going to handle that
1: To a lot of people seeing things passing their eyes can be triggering seeing people using or being with with friends that are using can be triggering so it all boils down to you I think you need to know yourself before you do anything but if you think that you are strong enough to just simply say no 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 because consent is very important it is something that can happen and you can absolutely get back to enjoy your gay life even as a sober person which is why i wanted to come and talk on this show on this show about because there are some of us that are that the only difference is that you're not using but the rest has remained and also obviously not with the superpower that you had when you were high but still up to some extent you can absolutely enjoy sober life and be piggy kinky whatever you please
0: i i think it's 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 very much a, a mindset yes. you kind of have to uh think about where you're at and also be prepared that if you do go to a circuit party even if the ticket cost you 70 euros or 70 pounds be prepared if you're not having a good time go home it's y- not worth it
1: yes absolutely and don't blame it always on your sobriety. That's not true. No, That's no, not it's, true.
0: It's sometimes you... I think most most cases, especially when I was heavy drinking, it was just a... Uh, one thing I found in sobriety is I suffer with social anxiety. Okay. Quite a lot. Okay. And put myself in a situation where I'm surrounded by people I don't know, I would cover that with alcohol and drugs. Yeah. I've gotten better with tackling it in a, in a, in a circuit park in, party party setting but sometimes it doesn't work and that's fine sometimes my head will go a spin and then i'll just pack up my shit and go home and that's perfectly fine
1: but also i can realize how it can be triggering to a lot of people because so when you use and you are on a circuit party there is this feeling off, people take care of you. They make sure that you drink enough water. They make sure that you are always with someone and you feel safe. So people actually feel quite accepted, quite loved, taken care of. But when you're sober, all of that get, all of that gets taken away. There is nobody to ask you, do you, Do you drink water? Do you want a water? Or how are you feeling? And to many people, this could also. I mean, I've had many parties in which I would go. I would not talk to anybody, and I'm very social, and I would just be like, well. It is what it is, but you have to then just accept it, that those parties might happen and it's fine. Like, it doesn't mean mm. that you are anything less or a failure or, or anything. It just means that you are not using. And sometimes it comes off with a certain price. But I think if with any choice in life, you, you sometimes have to pay something else in order to be able to enjoy the privileges of something else if that makes any sense life is about give and take so uh but absolutely sometimes i've had parties uh, out of which i've gone out and i've been like oh my god this was the best party of my life and i've been sober so yeah
0: yeah so it's it's it's, it's about being your authentic self and also be prepared to sometimes self-care is is the more important bit in than running into a hard cock in the back room.
1: Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> but mind you, like in a dark room, nobody knows if you're high or not. So you can still that's use the and you can still use that. that. Yeah, exactly. And just simply enjoy and let yourself go. You know. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. But, yeah, I think we've gotten to the point now where I want to say thank you for coming on. It's been absolutely lovely, a joy to talk to you and, and share your experiences.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I absolutely loved being here and I think I've covered most of the topics that I wanted to, so.
0: Fantastic. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And this was this episode of Real Clear Fetish Talks, Real Clear Play. Uh, you've got the enjoyment of my face in an hour, but that's fine. And uh, Elvis came with some of the experiences. We will now be two weeks before the next episode. And in the next episode, we're going down under. So we are traveling all over the world. So I'll see you in two weeks time. Bye. Bye.